just before we did that song, we sang Christ is Enough. And um, I was reminded of the, of the story that goes with, about that song where um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, um, who many of us would have heard of, uh, a great uh, Russian uh, author and philosopher, was in a Russian gulag. He was also a Christian, and uh, life was very, very difficult in the gulag. He, he uh, despaired for his, his life and his future. Uh, it was hard labor. He and all the other prisoners were being starved to death and worked to death. And one day he reached the end where he just couldn't take any more. And he went and he sat down on a rock in the field where they were working. He knew that when the guards saw him, they would come over and beat him and likely beat him to death, probably with his own shovel. But he hung his head down. He just couldn't take it anymore. And then he sensed a presence that someone had come and was standing just off to the front of him. And he looked up and there was this wizened old prisoner that he had seen around, much older than him, who looked at him and then with his shovel he drew the sign of the cross on the ground in front of Solzhenitsyn. And then he went away. Solzhenitsyn sat there for a moment and looked at the cross in the ground and realized that through Christ he could endure. That Christ made all things possible. And that because he had Christ and because he had faith in Christ, he could face anything. He wrote later that nothing changed in his circumstances that day, but everything changed in his heart that day. And he went on to survive the gulag and go on to tell us his story. Christ truly is enough. Well, today is an anniversary uh, of sorts. It was one year ago today that I was commissioned to uh, become the senior pastor of this congregation. And thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. So I do want to thank you. I, I still feel like we're in the honeymoon stage. But I, uh, I do want to thank you so much for all of the uh, support and goodwill that you have extended toward me in, in this new venture that we are on together. I have uh, really appreciated that. You know, over the, the course of time, I work uh, closely with our elders and with our board of directors and other leadership groups. And we talk about all kinds of things that are going on in the life of the congregation. Many of those things never actually make it into your hearing. And so one of the things that the elders had asked me to do would be to spend a bit of time just talking about how things are going and what's been happening, some of the good news that, uh, of what God is doing in our midst. And so I wanted to take a bit of time today to uh, do just that. I asked the worship team, Tim and the worship team, to open with that song because it was Rachel who reminded me that last year at the uh, annual general meeting, when I talked to the congregation about some of the things that were happening, I referenced the story from 1 Kings 18. It had meant so much to me when I read it. That story of Elijah who was pouring out his heart to God and looking up and, and waiting and waiting. And then finally he saw on the horizon that small cloud beginning to form. And I'd use that story because I wanted people to understand that as I looked in, in, at, at the life of our, our church, I could see signs of God moving. I could see signs of, of future 
signs of hopefulness, signs of change, signs of good things, not just good things to come, but good things happening. And I told that story and I used that reference uh, in explaining that. So I want to do, what I want to do today is take a few minutes to just tell you what some of those things are. Some of the things that God has been doing in our midst um, and allow you to, to enjoy and give th- God thanks and, and hopefully be encouraged and have hope for what God is doing just as I have and the elders have and others who are already familiar with these stories. So here's a couple of them. Three years ago, uh, we were, it was a Monday morning, and we have a, a group that meets for prayer on Monday mornings in our prayer chapel. Uh, Jerry, who works in our office, Jerry Fortin, had mentioned to me at one point, she said, you know, she said, we need more children. Isaac and Trenton, you know, her, her grandson Isaac and Trenton Knight were, were the only kids that were in our nursery, and, and, they were, and she said, we need more kids because I want, our kids need to grow up and have, have Christian friends. And, and one of the things that God had really been weighing on my heart was just the, our, our need for prayer, our need to ask him for things, our need to, to be sure that we were asking God for the things that he laid on our heart. So that morning, I said, well, let's pray about it. And I, we went in and I joined that, that group in our prayer chapel that pray every Monday morning. And I said, God's, God's laying on my heart that we need to pray for children, that we need to pray that God would send us more children for our church. And so that group was very happy to do that. And we began to pray for kids. And there's a funny story that goes along with that. This is also a true story. Uh, so that was, you know, about you know, 9.30 or maybe 10 o'clock in the morning we did that. Around uh, noon, somebody came running down the hall and said, Kevin, Kevin, you've got to come out. You've got to see this. So I came out of my office and went out and, and uh, into the lobby just out here. And I looked out outside of our office, and there was this train of little kids going down the hallway, about 15 of them, about that big, right? And uh, there were a couple of adults with them, and these little kids were just all in tow, all in their winter garb, and they, they were going down, going down the hallway. And, uh, and somebody said, well, Kevin, you asked God to give us children. Here they are. <laughs> and, I, and I laughed, and I thought, oh, yeah, God, that's a, that's good. That's a great sense of humor. But God, God prompted me, and he said, ask me for them. And so we went back to prayer again, and we prayed for all of those kids, and we prayed that God would, would give us those kids and, and many more, that we would have a new generation at our feet that could be, could be taught to live and love Jesus and become a new generation of leaders for the church. So we prayed that, and we prayed for those kids and for many, many others. A couple of months ago, I asked Yvonne where we were at with the number of kids in our nursery. She told me, she said, we can have as many as nine in our nursery now. I have a list that she gave me about the, the number of, of families. And in the last two years, uh, we have had eight new young families come to our congregation with a total of 14 kids between them. That's answered prayer. That's answered prayer. Because God is raising up a new generation. And if you're one of those families, if you're new, even if you're just still checking us out, you didn't, you didn't know before this moment that you're here out of answered prayer. And so what I want to encourage you to think about is we, we do not just want you to be here. We want you to belong here. We want you to put down roots here. We want you to, to help make this church your church. Help us understand how we can help you. How can, we, how can we walk alongside of you? How can we help God's dreams for you be fulfilled? 
uh, as a community where God has planted you. And we welcome you and we continue to pray and continue to ask God for even more children and families. Another way that God has been blessing us has been with financial blessings. Two years ago, you might recall that we were in a bit of a financial crisis. We'd kind of hit a wall. Uh, we had reached the point where uh, we had pretty much burned through our reserves. We were in the process of renegotiating our mortgage. Our mortgage at that time uh, was with Stewards Canada. It was at 6.75%. And we had the opportunity through a new lender of taking that from 675 down to 3%. And we were working with that. That was going to take a lot of the pressure off of our day-to-day -day operations. Our congregation is, is healthy, but it's not robust. It's not big. It hasn't, hadn't grown in numbers. And we, we really, you know, we're, we're looking for some relief to be able to manage our costs. And that was, seemed to be the way that God was going to answer that prayer. But then we found out at the, at the beginning of June two years ago that that deal fell through. The lender that was supposed to give us the new mortgage, it turned out that they weren't actually licensed to lend in Ontario and said, we're not going to be able to do that. We don't know when we're going to be able to do that for the foreseeable future. And so we were between a rock and a hard place financially. Some of us began to think, are we going to have to lay off? Are we going to have to, you know, what, how, how are we going to manage this? We brought it to the congregation. We asked you to join us in praying that God would would provide a solution for this. And on the Monday night after that Sunday morning, we had a board of directors meeting, and uh, Deb Holbrook, who's the chair of our uh, board of directors, uh, a very godly woman, spoke to us and she said, I don't, I don't believe that God wants us to use this meeting to try and find a solution to this problem. I believe that God wants us just to seek him. And so we did. We spent the meeting, instead of trying to solve the problem, we spent the meeting just praying and asking God to solve it for us. The very next day, someone walked into the office with a new mortgage deal. And we went from 6.75 to 4%. And that person wasn't part of that process. The very next day, yeah, to God be the glory. To God be the glory. Remember, we, we talk about, you know, we're, we're, we're learning to, when we see where God is working, call it out, say it for what it is. We often think of in terms of coincidences. But as Francis McNutt says about prayer for healing, he says, you know, the th funny thing about prayer is that when we pray, coincidences seem to happen. And when we don't pray, they don't. So let's call it for what it is. Let's call it answered prayer. Let's call it God's blessing. Let's call it God's provision. And let's give him thanks for it. A few weeks ago, that same lender came back to us. Our mortgage now at 4%. Our costs manageable. The congregation's doing well. We're, we're slightly above budget this year. You've been very gracious and generous this year. And we're, we're tracking along quite well. And that lender came to us a couple of weeks ago and said, I think I can do better on your mortgage. And as of June 1st, our mortgage went from 4% to 2%. Yeah. Absolutely. 
we've had some difficult times. It was a year ago, the last two weeks in, in June, the first messages I gave as your senior pastor, I gave two messages on healing, if you remember those. I believe that God had been laying on my heart that he had more for us. And part of that more is that God does heal. And I believe that. But the second sermon that I gave that second week was the same Sunday that our beloved Roger Stanger sitting in the back there had his diabetic episode. So visible to so many of us. And we lost Roger in December. That was hard. A few weeks after giving those messages, Gord Patterson died, despite our prayer. And that was hard. And I don't have answers for those things. I don't know why sometimes it doesn't go and turn out the way that I would hope and the way that I'm asking God to do. But here we have Judy Gaw and Chris Pesme, people that we've been praying for, and here they are. And so we will continue to pray. And we will continue to ask for healing. And we will continue to expect healing. And we will continue to wait for God's answers in those things. But even out of that sorrowful passing of Roger, a faithful member of this congregation for so many years, God brought great blessing. Roger left Forest Brook a significant gift in his estate. And um, we, uh, um, we could receive hundreds of thousands of dollars from his estate when it's all said and done. That's a great gift from Roger and from our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's thank him for that as well. There are signs. There's a small cloud on the horizon getting bigger. And uh, that's encouraging. A year ago, I, when I stood in front of you, I said that I didn't know where we were going as a congregation, but I knew we were listening. We were committed to seeking God and listening to God. I was, the elders were. We are committed to seeking God and listening to God, and we're beginning to hear, and it's beginning to become clearer. A year ago, Mike Stone, the executive director from Vision Ministry, was also here talking about our need to engage our communities. And just this month, he published in his newsletter for Vision Ministries this statement. He says, The church is best equipped to nurture community. Aware that each person is made in the image of God, the eternal dance of three. We know people were created for community. We believe that God is reconciling all things in Christ and that we are agents of this reconciliation. We know that the Spirit has empowered us to live out our kingdom one another's as a sign of God's new humanity. The cultivation of genuine community in the world is central to the church's mandate. Now, why do I share that quote for you? Because in that quote, Mike brings three great themes together and into focus. And if we're pointed in any direction as a congregation, we are pointed at the intersection of these three things. That we are called to be community. Real and genuine community. We are in this together. And we must work together. And that we are spirit-empowered. That it's not just our effort. It's not just that you and I need to do more or try harder. We've been saying that now for a couple of years. We actually need to learn how to, how to be led by the Holy Spirit. How to listen and be led by the Holy Spirit. 
and that we are going to live a kingdom life. That we are actually experiencing the kingdom of heaven now. That we are able to enter in and live the kingdom experience now. And where these three great themes intersect is where we're going. Is where we're headed as a church. So that much I can tell you. So it's been a year. We're a few actually, but God is with us. Let's give him thanks. So this current series that we're in right now is um, coming from a, uh, the Olivet Discourse, which is where Jesus gives his message in answer to the disciples' questions. The question was, when will these things be? He'd been in Jerusalem, and he told them that they were going to witness the destruction of the temple and everything, the center of their religion. He said, it's all going to be destroyed. And they asked him, when will these things be, and what will be the signs of your coming? Remember, they were expecting this, the coming of the kingdom. They were expecting him to reveal himself as Messiah and usher in now, at last, the restored kingdom of Israel under God with Messiah as its king. That's what they were expecting. That's what they wanted, and they wanted to know when. When was it going to happen? And in this passage, these Matthew 24 and 25, in answer to that question, Jesus gives five parables, five different parables. We're looking at a few of them as we go along. The five different parables teach us something. If we look at them, we see, and we talked about this already, Jim spoke last week on this and, and I did a couple weeks ago, that when we look at the parables of Jesus in the Olivet Discourse, what Jesus how he answers is that, is that his return will be sooner than we expect, or sorry, later than we expect, sooner than we expect, and that it'll happen at a time that we don't expect. And so the lesson is that a wise disciple is always ready. Always ready. So we talked about the fact that, yes, in fact, there is a future coming, fulfillment, consummation, wonderful revelation of the kingdom. That is coming. But the emphasis is on how we live now and how we live the reality of the kingdom and the gospel now. So I want to look at Matthew 25, and today it's the parable of the ten young women in Matthew 25. And you'll find it in verses 1 through 13. If you have your Bible, you can open it up and read along with me. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come and meet him. When all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps, the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your lamps or some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. 
So let me give you some context for this. It's a wedding story, right? These are ten bridesmaids. And so the bridesmaids, they are there to attend to the bride. And so in the custom of the day, uh, they all had to gather together when it was time for the wedding and wait for the bridegroom. And then they would process through the village, right, with all of the guests to the the place where the wedding was going to take place. And that's where the feast and everything would happen. But until until everybody was ready, they they had to wait. And so these ten bridesmaids are, are prepared, ready, ready for the bridegroom to come along. But five of them were not prepared for the long haul. For the long haul, they weren't. Notice that the bridegroom was long delayed, and they all slept. Now, one of the things we have to remember about a story like this, a parable, is we can, we can treat it a bit like an allegory and read a lot into it, and people do that. But really, the, the, only, the only true and trustworthy way to read a parable is to get the main point. What is the main point of this parable? Well, we find it in verses 2 to 5 of Matthew 25. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. I've heard this told you know, a number of times. I've heard this parable used as a way of saying, you know, the, the, the ones that didn't have any oil, well, they didn't have the Holy Spirit, right? Because the oil and Holy Spirit are often intertwined in, in the Scriptures. And again, if you want to allegorize the parable, you could probably make a case for that. But that's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is that five were prepared for a long wait and five weren't. Five were, were running a sprint, and five were ready for a marathon. And what the story tells us is that the five who were not ready for the marathon, the five who weren't in for the long haul, the five who couldn't go the distance, they were the foolish ones. They were the foolish ones. So the parable is turning upon the disciples being ready to go for the long haul. So remember, these parables come in answer to the question, when, how long? And Jesus says to them, it's going to happen sooner than you think, it's going to take longer than you think, and it's going to happen when you don't expect it. So be ready always. And in this particular parable, it's be ready always. For the long term. Be ready for the long term. Life with Christ is a marathon, not a sprint. A marathon. We have to be in it for the distance. In his book, The Parables of Jesus, Arland Hultgren says this. He says, No one knows the timing of the end, the coming of the Lord. It might be soon, so one should take care today and be ready. But it might be far, So do not grow weary in doing good. In any case, one must come to terms with the living in the world, the place God has given for human habitation. For modern Christians, that includes care of the earth and making peace for future generations. It is imperative to plan for the long haul, remain faithful, and be wise and strong. His point here is that since we don't know when, and it could be tomorrow, it could be 
in someone else's lifetime. It could be in our grandchildren's lifetime or even longer. Because we don't know that, we have to be present in the moment. We have to be living for Christ in the moment and making the most of the moment. The Bible tells us to redeem the time. And we can fall into one of two ditches. We can put it off and we can say, I'll I'll get to Jesus someday. I'll accept him as Savior someday. I'll deal with the the junk in my life someday. I'll, I'll repent and admit that I'm screwed up someday, but just not today. Or the other ditch is to say, I've been at this for a while. I've done my time. I've done my work. I've done my leadership. I've raised my family. I've been a church builder. I've been been faithful. I've done all of this. Now I get to coast. Now I get to rest. Now it's somebody else's time. Now it's somebody else's job. If you're breathing, it's your time. If you're breathing, it's your time. We have one generation. We have one lifetime to impact this world for the kingdom of God. We must use every moment of it. Every moment of it. We might retire from our professions, from our careers. Absolutely, we have life cycles. We have grandchildren. Life changes, absolutely. But our mission For the kingdom of God on this earth does not wane in our lifetime. From the moment we become a follower of Jesus until the moment we meet him at the gates of heaven, we are on mission for this kingdom. And that's what the parable tells us. Those are the ones who are ready, ready to do it. We were talking about this at home, Shirley and Chelsea and I, and Chelsea had this great line. We were talking about the parables and, and the message of, this, of these parables, and Jesus said, so in other words, what you're saying is don't waste the waiting. Uh, it's a great line. Don't waste the waiting. We're all waiting for the kingdom to come in its fullness. We're all waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. Don't waste the waiting. I love what Jim said last week about standing. Right? Standing, meaning representing, being who God wants you to be wherever he's placed you. So as we mention, as we talk about what it is to live a kingdom life, we're not talking about here in this room on Sunday mornings. We're talking about living a kingdom life in our families, on our streets, in our workplaces, in our universities, and in our schools. That's where we need to live the kingdom life. That's where we make an impact for the kingdom of God. And that's what we want to pursue. This parable only tells us that to be wise, we must be prepared for the long term. Next week, Jeff will give us a message on the parable of the talents. And in that parable, I don't want to steal his thunder, but in that parable, Jesus tells us it really does matter what we do with our time. There really is such a thing as wasting the waiting. And we don't want to do that. Let's go back to the image of the still small cloud forming over the sea. Once Elijah had seen that, he told his servant, he said, get off this mountain in a hurry. 
because it is about to rain and it is about to flood. God is not finished with us at Forestbrook. He's raising up a new generation. He is raising up uh, those of us who have been around for years. He's moving among us. He's stirring us. He's getting us ready for more. Do you feel it? Be part of it. Be part of it. Don't let this moment pass you by in your life. That cloud is forming. It is gathering and rain is coming. We've already felt the first droplets. How do I know? How do I know this is true? Well, I know it from James 5, verses 16 through 18. What, what James wrote and told us about Elijah. He says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human just like us. He was no different from you and me. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. You see, as Elijah looked at the world around him and was moved by the Holy Spirit of God as a prophet, he wanted to do something about it. And God used him powerfully to do that. But what was the key? He prayed earnestly. And in the Greek, it actually means he prayed with prayers. (laughs) He prayed with prayers. Seven times he got down on his face on that mountaintop, asking God to send the rain. In Elijah, we see purposeful, persistent, and powerful prayer. And God's beginning to teach us that. God's beginning to show us that. We're beginning to seek God with purposeful, powerful, and persistent prayer. And God is beginning to answer. It's the same God today who answered Elijah's prayers yesterday. And you and I are no different from Elijah. The same Holy Spirit that moved Elijah is here to move you and me. That's how I know that the rain is coming. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, this is your church. We are your church. We are your people the people called by your name. We often say that in you we live and move and have our being, and Lord, that is so true. We thank you for the signs of your presence and of your moving in our midst. Lord, there could be many more. We could talk about things that are happening in the ministry of Celebrate Recovery and how lives are being changed there. We can talk about things that are happening in people's marriages and how people are being transformed and coming to forgiveness and learning to love one another in new ways. Lord, your Holy Spirit can do anything and everything. We've been learning that your kingdom is one of restoration, that your gospel is one of how you are reconciling all things to yourself in Christ Jesus, that you've done your part, that Jesus has paid the price, and that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We sing it, we say it. Oh, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to live it. Help us to live it more and more. May your kingdom come, and may your will be done here at Forestbrook, as it is in heaven. 
Would you raise us up as your people? Continue to stir and work among us. Holy Spirit, come, fill us, flood us. And would you bring so many more people into your kingdom through the work of this place and this people. To you be the glory, Lord. We're not doing anything except praying because we know that you are the one who moves mountains. And so we ask you for heavy rain. In Jesus' name, amen.